Welcome to the Thought Leadership Project, a podcast by Jay Harrington and Tom Nixon, exploring how lawyers can turn expertise into thought leadership and thought leadership into new business. Jay, welcome back to the Thought Leadership Project podcast. How are you? Good, Tom. Good to be here. Good to see you and talk to you. So uh, how how are you doing? Plugging right along. Um, We're at, I think, week seven of quote unquote, the new normal. Have you heard that expression yet? The new normal? Yeah, a few times. <laughs> a few times. Yeah. These are uh, unprecedented yeah. times. Yes. Yeah, we can use, we have a lot of new, well, they're not necessarily new cliches, but they're being overused. Uh, yeah. But, uh, you know, reasonably adapting, keeping busy. Um, it's good to do things like this and get a chance to use technology to stay connected to people. Yeah, for sure. So it's, uh, and that actually uh, is, a, is a good transition to think about our topic today, which is staying connected on a, a platform that is and, and should be important to all lawyers, which is LinkedIn. Yeah. I, in, I don't know if, if you're seeing the same thing, whether it's in law or outside of the legal industry, but it seems like people are sort of finding a newfound emphasis or urgency to kind of get affluent on LinkedIn. You know, for one, the tools to interconnect are dwindling, you know, in terms of, you know, taking people out to lunch or getting together in person. And maybe there's a little more time. And I heard um, a marketing director on LinkedIn talking, having another conversation like this, and their social media stats are through the roof right now on LinkedIn, Facebook, all of them really. So I think this is where people are spending their time to try to get connected with people. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a, a diminishing supply of channels to communicate these days, and and LinkedIn is certainly well positioned to be the one that more people are spending their time on. So it's no not surprising that people are seeing increased activity and and numbers. And um, yeah, there's I, I think it's just more eyeballs on the platform than probably ever before. I haven't seen any statistics on LinkedIn in that regard, which is surprising. Maybe they're out there. I just haven't stumbled across them. But I wouldn't be surprised at some point to see that, like other, like Amazon and like Zoom and other, you know essential channels that are digitally oriented that LinkedIn is probably experiencing a, a surge in activity right now. You're right. And a, one more just anecdotal piece of evidence, maybe another plot point to consider is we on our site have a LinkedIn uh, manual download, right? And we've gotten more activity and more downloads of that recently than we have in the past. Yeah, that's true. I mean, that various anecdotal things. And I've had, I've had more clients uh, just in, in the context of coaching, for example, um, wanting to spend more time thinking about LinkedIn. It might be something that they've had, you know, they have a, a profile and they, they have an account on LinkedIn and maybe they're jump in or jump out of it once in a while, but uh, they're not really, uh, like you said, fluent in how the platform works and looking to get more uh, more attuned and and more skilled at using it as a as an actual platform to to market and develop business. So that's that's definitely again another anecdotal instance, but I think one that is is kind of carrying through a lot of carrying through with a lot of people. Yeah. So with that context, we thought we would tackle LinkedIn from a thought leadership perspective and how a, an attorney specifically can leverage LinkedIn to further their pursuits towards becoming a thought leader. But I wanted to start at the beginning, as we normally should and, and would, and I'm going to have a, a particular person in mind who maybe has been on LinkedIn for some time, so it's not completely new and foreign to uh, him or her. But again, 
they, a renewed emphasis to maybe get more active and um, they're going to spend more time on LinkedIn and they should probably, I, I would think you would agree, start at the basics at the beginning just to make sure all the boxes are checked. And that begins with optimizing one's profile. Do you agree? Yeah, I agree. I think that's a good starting point. And I guess the way I think about profile is there's a few reasons why it's important. One is ultimately with if you're interacting on LinkedIn, the goal, if we and if we fast forward to the end goal, would be someone uh, is either has a reason to search you out and find out more about you, and they might be on LinkedIn and just interested in checking out your LinkedIn profile, or they've seen something that you've posted or otherwise uh, shared on on LinkedIn, and they're interested in that. And in any event, they want to learn more about you. So the the goal here is to funnel them down to your profile. So you want to make sure that that profile matches what you're trying to achieve through your marketing and business development. Um, the other, the other reason is not even LinkedIn related necessarily. And that, and, and you've probably seen this too, Tom, but I think with most people, if their name is, is searched on Google, their LinkedIn profile is either the first or second result that's coming up for most people. Um, so it might still be your website bio on your law firm website, but I'm increasingly seeing instances where I might search for someone and, and it's actually their LinkedIn profile that comes up first. So you never know, you might assume that, you know, no one's really searching you out on, on LinkedIn or because you're not active on the platform, but your, that profile you have is showing up in Google search results as well. So it's another reason to, uh, to optimize it. So, so when we think about optimizing one's profile, I think the starting point and, and this is oftentimes flipped when you think about the way most people craft their bios. Um, you want to start with who, but it, the who is not you. It's the, your ideal client if, in the context of uh, you know, legal services. So who, you want to identify and make clear to someone that uh, why they should be, what you have to offer and, and why they should care. Um, so you want to, as a starting point, you want to think about that. Who is my ideal client? Who am I hoping to serve? Um, and how do I craft my profile in a way that's attractive to that person? And so that starts with the, um, you know, the short, the short snippet, snippet in your profile that is, I can't remember the exact character count, but it's something like 100 to 120 characters. Um, that is the, the short snippet that shows up right under your name in, in search results. It's almost like the headline of your bio. And that's where you want to make sure you're you know, kind of doing two things who do you serve and what solution do you provide for them? If you can encapsulate that in that short snippet, well then um, you've got a good entree into your, your bigger profile. And then in your profile itself, which is longer form, you can then expand upon that. So again, almost define your ideal client uh, in, your, in the beginning of your profile. Um, you know, if you are a lawyer who serves the manufacturing industry will make that clear right up front and demonstrate that you have knowledge about the challenges and pain points and opportunities that that audience faces and then transition into the specific solutions that you have to provide to that audience um, so you want to make it solution oriented um, with a focus on uh, the client itself and then ultimately as you transition through your bio at that point, you, you, know, you kind of reinforce your expertise by sharing what most lawyers focus on exclusively, which is you know, you, the firm you work at, uh, your educational background, uh, the results you've, you've achieved, that kind, of, that kind of thing. But you want to attract your ideal client audience with speaking directly to them through your profile. And then, and then lastly, and, and then I'll let you jump in here, Tom, but 
one thing that I think many lawyers would be surprised at, especially if they've created their profile on LinkedIn, you know, several years ago, or, or even, you know, might be a decade ago since anyone touched their LinkedIn profile. Um, LinkedIn has added tons of new features uh, to the profile section. So now you can, you can include uh, things like articles you've written, link out to those um, videos that you may have created, all kinds of different multimedia opportunities uh, now in your profile that weren't available, say, you know, two or three years ago that people should be thinking about. So I'll stop there, Tom, and, and let you add anything else that you think is uh, worthwhile. Yeah, all great points. And I just wanted to go back to something you said right at the outset. In I'll sound like a broken record on this podcast because I'm, I'm going to keep coming back to this, but I think there's a good reason for it. So when I do LinkedIn trainings, I remind people that any action they take on LinkedIn, which starts with the optimization of the profile, they should be considering two audience segments. One you referenced specifically, which is the human eyeballs that are going to come to the page or see your content and need to be influenced in some way by your thought leadership. There's going to be a human element to something that they take away from that experience. So always think about the humans that you're going to have um, on LinkedIn, seeing your content or off LinkedIn, like you said, just on Google, perhaps doing a search. The other audience segment, are the robots in indexing spiders, in algorithm builders, all the technology that lives under the hood of LinkedIn that processes every single action you take and bookmarks it and stores it for some later search or some later action by the part of a human. So there's the, all of this artificial intelligence that goes into recording everything that you do. So for example, as you're trying to build your network, and let's say you're an attorney who wants to get in front of general counsel people. You're, and we'll get to building uh, your network in a minute, but each general counsel that you connect with on LinkedIn sends a signal to the LinkedIn algorithm that they should be suggesting other general counsel to, for you to connect with without even you knowing who they are. Or any word or keyword phrase that exists in your bio or you know, another thing that I see a lot of people miss, you mentioned newer um, features, specialties specialties are keyword driven and they're tag driven. So you certainly want to have the keywords phrases that are going to resonate with the humans that come to your site or I'm sorry, to your LinkedIn page. But you also want to make sure that you're thinking in terms of keyword phrases that the indexers, the spiders, the bots are going to use to uh, index your page, your content and serve it up to people who are looking for it. So I'll, I'll, I'll remind people probably every step along the way, there's the humans, and there's the robots, and both should be considered in a sort of a 50-50 split. You don't want to write content that is just completely stuffed with keywords so that you're satisfying the uh, robots and the indexers, but a human comes to the page and says, what is all this gibberish? But we, normally, the audience that we're talking to today is somebody who hasn't done enough to include keywords and keyword phrases into the writing that they're doing in their bio, in their specialties, in their headlines. So all of that stuff is important. Yeah, absolutely. And then that kind of takes us to the next step when you're thinking about, okay, you've got an optimized profile. Well, then you want to make sure that you are connecting with people on LinkedIn and growing your network. Um, so how, what are some thoughts, Tom, on, in terms of how to go about thinking about one's LinkedIn network and, and growing it and, and optimizing for it? The first thing that I advise people do is commit to it. You need to carve out some portion of your day or your week, every single week, every single day, whatever you're willing to part with in terms of time to try to build your network. We'll discuss a few ways to do it, but maybe it's 10 minutes a day or at least 10 minutes a week to find the people because anything that you do when we get down to like the advanced thought leadership 
um, on LinkedIn, so maybe a LinkedIn 401 course, the only way that's going to work, it will only be as powerful as the network that you build today. So if you open a door and you speak to a room of two people, that's not nearly as good as opening the door to an audience, uh, auditorium and being on stage and speaking in front of 2,000. And that's the same thing with LinkedIn. So you need to actively grow your network. The very first thing to do is just to start connecting with the people that you know. So searching people. Um, think of the people that you absolutely need to get in front of in the real world and just search their names and start doing just guerrilla warfare, just connecting with people. Now you can't do that forever because that's not an easily scalable thing to do, but keep in mind as you're connecting with those right people and then you go to LinkedIn and then you click on the connections button and then there's, you know, that grid of smiling faces looking back to you saying, these are people who you might know and you should connect with. Well, you've already given the inputs to the LinkedIn algorithm to for LinkedIn to know who those people should be. So now it's as easy as just hitting connect, send a message, connect, send a message, connect, send a message. Depending on who the person is, if it's a cold person, you know, somebody that you don't know in the real world, you, you, you soften that connection by adding that quick little introduction. Um, if it's somebody you know and you don't really need to impress this person, you just naturally should connect with them. Say if you and I were connected, I would just hit connect. But so first things first use the, the manual tools to search and seek those people that you should connect with. And then you can start letting LinkedIn do some of the work by serving up some of those connections, serving up the alumni. And again, they're not going to know who your alumni is if you don't optimize the profile and tell them that you went to such and such law school and such and such undergrad. So um, eventually it's going to become super simple. Don't you find that you know, the, the work that you do at the front end, you know, now with 2,500 plus connections, I don't have to go. There's not a whole lot of people that I know in the real world that I'm not connected to on LinkedIn. So now it's all just adding people into the network. Yeah. And, and so uh, that all, that all makes a lot of sense, Tom. And I would just add to it maybe one thing, which would be um, also it's not necessarily all about quantity either. So there's a qualitative nature to this as well. And we'll get to this when we're talking about sharing content uh, as well. But um, the, the, one of the reasons, you know, if you, if you think about your network, you want to make sure it's as densely populated with the people who have a, uh, an opportunity to positively impact your practice as, as possible. So, um, you know, just to, to skip ahead, just to give you an example why that's important is that when you when it comes to things like sharing content or posting updates on LinkedIn, there, there's oftentimes a, a misconception that that content is going to be seen by the entirety of your network. When in fact, um, the way link, the LinkedIn algorithm works is uh, it's only that content, whether you're sharing an article or you're posting an update, um, it's only being seen by approximately 10% of your network. And the reason for that is LinkedIn wants to make sure that it's sharing what it deems as high quality content. And so um, the only way that content gets seen by your broader network is if it's interacted with uh, significantly as measured by likes and comments and shares. So what that means is that if you're sharing content for an audience that you you know if you have a narrowly focused audience in a particular industry for example if your linkedin network isn't populated by people in that network then they're not going to be particularly interested in that content you're sharing it's never going to get beyond that initial you know 10% of your network out to the broader audience so so as you're thinking about growing your network you don't you don't necessarily want to just focus on quantity you want to focus on quality as well yeah, agreed. 100% agreed, which is why I recommend starting with the, you know, using your brain and using your fingers on a keyboard to find the most important people first. 
yep. make sure you're connected with those. That's a great point. Well, we should move into sharing content because you, you started to, to bring that up. And there's, a, there's various schools of thoughts, and I see various people take different approaches and be highly successful on LinkedIn. But when it comes to sharing content, maybe we should address in, in any order, Jay, take it, what you should share, how that is being shared, and then I think a key conversation point is how often. Uh, yeah. Because face, LinkedIn's closer to Facebook than it is to Twitter, but I, maybe you know, pick any which one of those that you want to start with. What should people share? How do they do it? And then how often should they be doing it? Yeah, so I, I guess I'll I'll pick some I'll pick some demographic of of our listeners that's probably pretty representative of of the group, which would be maybe someone who has has not done that much sharing of content on the platform and and doesn't maybe know where to start. Um, so for someone in that position, I think you want to start as a curator uh, and, sh- and a curator who shares content, meaning um, it, it can, it's much more, uh, I guess, feels more risky and maybe you feel more vulnerable about sharing things that you've created on the platform because everyone's worried about, you know, other people judging that content, whether it's good or worthy or high quality. So being a curator means essentially identifying news items or articles of interest that someone else has created, you know, go on Wall Street Journal, go on the New York Times, find something interesting and share that on the platform by, you know, pasting the URL into a status update and then, and then provide a little bit of commentary of your own. So again, you're not, you're not creating 100% of the content, you're curating and sharing high quality content that might be of interest to your audience and you're sharing a bit of your perspective about that. So that's, that's a status update where you're sharing curated content. That will help you to sort of ease into this idea of sharing content and then kind of moving to the next level, you're then creating your own original content. So that might be something you've written for your blog on your firm's website and you're sharing that into the platform. It might be something that you're publishing directly on LinkedIn using the the publishing tool um, that the, the platform offers. Um, it might be simply not not even writing a blog post that you're sharing, but writing a status update. It allows you about 1,300 characters, which tends to work out to about 250 to 300 words. And that's a short status update that essentially serves as a short blog post. And we've talked about this before in another episode, but the idea of using LinkedIn as a platform to uh, sort of beta test content uh, when you're sharing shorter status updates, it gives you a sense based on the audience reaction, whether that idea you're sharing is maybe worth uh, expanding out into long form content in the form of a blog post or article. Um, so, so that's, I think, the what you think about starting with curation and then, and then transitioning into, um, you know, creation of original content. Uh, which then, uh, again, positions you as a thought leader uh, on the platform and, and gives you a greater, greater impact. And then, I guess, um, you know, how often? I, my, in, in my experience, and I think this is the way that, yeah, like you said, it's, this is, LinkedIn is not Twitter. Where Twitter, it's essentially the more you can tweet, the better on the platform. LinkedIn doesn't work that way. In my experience, it's typically one time a day uh, is kind of what you – if. Not every lawyer is going to do that, but that's sort of the, at, at the maximum high end of, of how much sharing you want to do. I think beyond that, LinkedIn suppresses like a second or third post that you might try to do in a particular day. Um, so I'd say no more than once a day, um, but certainly try to share uh, some content, you know, two to three times a week, I think would be an effective way to think about it. Um, so I guess, Tom, I'll stop there and let you, you take over. But uh, that's, those are a few ideas for sharing content. 
Yeah, I love the idea of s- starting with curation because you mentioned maybe somebody's hesitant to, to, to lead with their own content, but I think it will give you the confidence. If you're sharing great content, conversations are going to are going to um, sprout from that. You'll have a comment that you might respond to that comment and you're going to see where the energy is. And I think that's going to give people the confidence then to maybe take that offline, write an article about it and bring it back into the conversation, knowing that it at least had some people's interest. So I love that idea. The other thing I was going to mention is, you know, eventually beyond blog posts and written content, people should start thinking about um, video and images because these are the things going back to, the two audiences, here's the broken record, right? So you want to vary it for the various audiences and and give them maybe a mixed medium experience. So maybe some video content, a a cool image or infographic, just makes the human experience better. But these are also things that LinkedIn's algorithm tends to show preference for because they know, as opposed to a link, you know, a link is going to naturally take somebody away from the LinkedIn platform, if only temporarily. Now, do you think LinkedIn wants people to go away from their platform or do you think they want to increase their time on site? Obviously, they want to increase time on site. So a quick image is not going to click anyone away from LinkedIn. So they, the algorithm might tend to share that with uh, more free, freely with that first 10% that you mentioned. So I would get people thinking about what video can I embed, what photography or, you know, can I create stock, not stock images, rather infographics to, to convey my thought leadership and my expertise different, you know, in some of that stuff is consumable in 10, 20 seconds, which is also different than asking someone to click off of LinkedIn, read a 2000 word article, spend 15 minutes with it. So just varying it up. And again, that'll come with time. Then the last piece about how often is, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because you see, you know, a, a former guest of ours, Frank Ramos is, sometimes he posts multiple times a day and he's got what 50,000 plus followers, something like that. Yeah. I think so he's, he's prolific, um, but he does it well. It never seems like it's too much. I'm on the other end of the spectrum where I'm always afraid to have too much content because of the suppression thing that you brought up, which is um, I think worth noting. So let's say you, you put out a blog post and LinkedIn's algorithm is going to serve that up to say 10% of the audience. If there's no engagement, on that, um, obviously it's not going to start serving it up to the next 10%, right? So if you do something Monday morning, let's say you have a blog post Monday morning and Monday afternoon, you come along with your next favorite blog post. What that does is it starts serving that up to the first 10% of your audience, meaning it's now taking away from your own content that you posted, temp, you know, Monday morning. So by compressing all of that in shorter timeframes, you're starting to work against yourself and your own algorithm. So I would say, like you said, a day, once a day is probably the maximum unless you're really doing it well and have thousands and thousands of followers like Frank. Um, I'm more of a once every three day kind of person. So I think we're sort of a Frank and I are on maybe opposite ends of the spectrum, or maybe our listeners are really on the other opposite end of the spectrum where they're posting once a month. So I would at least bring it up to once a week, consider going at least as frequently as two or three times a week, but probably no more than once a day. Yeah. And last point on that, Tom, because I, I, I neglected to, to mention this, but I meant to is the other channel for sharing content on LinkedIn would be um, a, a underutilized tool, in my opinion, which is the the messaging app. Um, LinkedIn has its own messaging uh, tool, and it's you know it's equivalent to any any messaging 
tool on any platform or, or really email. It's like email within LinkedIn. And to the extent that you've written something uh, that you want to make sure that certain people who are very important in your network or that might be, uh, that might find the content highly relevant, you can send that to them directly and they'll get notified of your message. And it's a way to touch base with people in a, in a, you know, in a helpful way that's not salesy or, or any, any sort of the hard sell, but you can get your content in front of them. And I would say that that's probably one of the best ways to use the, the messaging platform to make sure that you're showing up in people's inbox, so to speak, on a frequent basis. Yep. Yep. Great point. And if I can, I'm just going to sneak in a LinkedIn 401 tactic because we, we experiment with this from time to time. Let's say you've got a great piece of content and it's a link to your site and you're afraid that LinkedIn's algorithm might suppress it. Is sometimes we're actually sharing first an image or an infographic that's relevant to the post and you, you load that up first. So it looks like you're sharing a photo and then you at the very end, you post a link to your article. Now, from what I can tell, LinkedIn processes that post as an image, so it's not gonna suppress it as much as it might be just a direct link to your website, because again, LinkedIn wants to preserve its own time on site. So you can experiment with that too. So you're still posting a link to your uh, blog that might exist on your website, but you start first with an image or an infographic, and you're kind of tricking the algorithms just a little bit. Yeah. Um, you know, you mentioned, Jay, can I ask you maybe to expound on the messaging thing? Because, you know, the next thing we want to get into is staying active and engaged. And I'll just preface this with a, a, my broken record statement and then let you riff on it, which is, again, when you stay active and engaged, you're doing it for two reasons. One is you want to stay active and engaged with that group of people that you built, you know, took the time to build in your network. And now you can't get in front of them um, on coffee meetings and networking events. So, you know, commenting on other people's posts, scrolling through your timeline to see who's uh, shared content and giving it a like, giving it a comment, all of that stuff is currency in building relationships. So I would recommend you do that just for the human aspect of it. But there's also, again, think about the algorithms that are trying to learn about you. Every action you take is going to influence something that LinkedIn serves up to you. So let's say you want to get a piece of content in front of a specific audience segment. Everyone imagine who your most, uh, your most critical market is. And you're connected to those people on LinkedIn, right? And you've got a great piece of content and just you wish everyone would share, uh, see it. But because of LinkedIn's algorithm, you don't know if they will because there's this 10% and they're going to start floating it out. And it's going to be gradual. And what if nobody likes it? LinkedIn is going to share content up to the people that it deems you most closely engaged with. So if you spend some time going to those exact Picture that audience again, finding them in your feed, interacting with them, leaving comments on their content, liking their content. LinkedIn banks all of that data and says, okay, Tom's connected to these types of people. Next time he shares a piece of content, I'm going to share it with those people first, as opposed to the people he hasn't connected with in months on our platform. So stay active and engaged for two reasons, the human element and the, the robots and Jay, I'll turn it back over to you. What other ideas do you have to, or what would you add to that simply just by staying active on the platform? Uh, not, not a ton. I think that was a, a really good summary of, of how to think about being active. I think that, yes, liking, commenting on, engaging with other people's content within your network, those who you want to, ha- um, you know, have see your content and be, you know, in, you want yourself to be in their newsfeed. Uh, all those things are important. Again, you know, messaging is another means to, um, connect with people on a one-on-one basis, um, joining various groups. Uh, LinkedIn has a feature called groups that is not, it, it, it's not 
all it was cracked up to be, in my opinion, and, and I found, but it's still a good way to uh, join a, essentially a mini network of people who are, have some similar interests, have some similar challenges. They've decided they want to have this little micro network within the LinkedIn platform. And by joining and engaging on, in those groups, you've got, you know, that, that densely populated, um, highly relevant audience that, that you can engage with. Um, and, you know, the last thing maybe, and this is it's not necessarily being engaged, but it's a way to make sure that people that you're trying to reach um, see your content. One thing we didn't talk about when we we're talking about sharing content was hashtags. And I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but you know, it's something to maybe give a little bit of boost to the content that you're sharing and, and creating a little bit more engagement where you're adding relevant hashtags to the bottom of your posts so that people who have expressed an interest in that sort of content in the past will be more likely to see the content you share. You're sort of categorizing the content for LinkedIn so that they can serve it up to the right people. So that's really all I'd add on add to your point. Because I mean, I think a lot of what we talked about already has all been about staying engaged and staying active, Tom. Yeah, and not to put too fine, uh, fine a point on it, it's, just, it's so critical right now to do this because we're all holed up in our home offices. We're not getting out. We're not even seeing the people we work with, let alone the people we want to work with. So absent of doing something like this, you're just you're missing out on real opportunities to stay connected and, and engaged with actual humans. And this is, appears to be from the anecdotal, and I'm sure we'll see some actual data on it, where people are spending their time online. So yeah. Why don't we wrap up with, um, you know, as the name on the tin suggests, we talk about thought leadership. So mm -hmm. the goal for all of this activity is not to be a LinkedIn celebrity. It's to be, become a thought leader. So how do you, you know, how does all of this work together and what do we need to do in addition to this LinkedIn activity to cement our reputations as thought leaders in a given industry? Yeah. So I think if, you know, to, to define what someone may look like uh, who's a thought leader on LinkedIn, I'd say probably share some, some character, common characteristics. So this would be someone who is, is active and engaged as judged by, you know, sharing lots of original content on the platform. Um, so, you know, those are some relative terms, but someone who is always showing up on the platform on a consistent basis, um, whose content is being uh, engaged with by others. So, they're they're writing thought-provoking content or you know videos or or audio content that other people are commenting on and sharing primarily. Um, there, this is this would be someone who's getting lots of inbound relevant connection requests. So, you know, you're not just reaching out to build your network. Other people who you've you know you're you you are open to connecting with because they fit within the demographic of people that, that can have an impact on your practice are seeking to connect with you. It's not just the other way around. Um, you would probably see an, a, a significant increase over time in the amount of people checking out your profile. So LinkedIn will notify you of who's looking at your profile. So those who are active thought leaders on the platform have a large number of people who are checking out the profile because they've been engaged and, and interested and curious to learn more about you because of something that you've done on the platform. Um, and then finally, uh, and I'll throw it to you, Tom, someone who is able to convert th these online interactions into offline conversations. So you're, you're using the platform, not just for the sake of gaining attention or awareness, but it's actually 
because you're connected to the right people and the right people are engaging with your content, um, you, you then have an opportunity, which is the ultimate goal, to take those conversations offline and, and actually start engaging with people in the real world, um, which, which may result in new opportunities for yourself. So I'd say, you know, a, a thought leader on LinkedIn probably has some of those, some or all of those characteristics in common. Yeah, <clears throat> absolutely. And I guess the only thing I would add to that is going back to um, something we said earlier. I think a con- well, apart from LinkedIn, just I, I, when I think of a thought leader, I think of the captain on the, the bow of a ship who can see things that are coming, can tell the people behind him where we should be going or her and steer the ship in the right direction. This is what a thought leader does. They can spot trends, um, they can forecast, they can analyze, they can contextualize. And so your activity on LinkedIn, I think should be a combination, always a combination of curation because it demonstrates that you have your finger on the pulse of what's happening in an industry. It also demonstrates that you're not just in this to self-promote because thought leaders are not just self-promoters. Thought leaders have followers because they are, they've earned that followership. Um, so curate content for sure. And then at some point to become a thought leader, you will have to be that captain on the front of the bow that writes compelling analysis, prognosticates, um, can spot trends. And you'll have to do that through written thought leadership or video or podcast or some combination of those. So LinkedIn is sort of your platform, I think, probably the best platform for an attorney to earn the status of thought leadership. Um, and it's gonna be partially what you do on the platform and partially what you do off of the platform. Yeah, so let's wrap today maybe with a, a challenge for an attorney who, again, this this attorney who knows that he or she needs to be on the platform, but doesn't know where to get started. So I'd say, you know, do the following, go on the platform, um, engage with other people's content, you know, find something like and comment on other people's pla- uh, other people's content, maybe, you know, two or three different posts, um, find some article that is on, you know, some publication that you find interesting and you think your audience would find interesting, share that into the platform. And then, you know, reach out to five or six people and make some new connection requests. Essentially, you know, just ease back into it. Um, this is sort of your, your warm up before you really start engaging as a thought leader on the platform and, and just, just start getting a little bit more active on it. And I think you'll find it's, it's less complicated and, and frankly, uh, it, it can be fun and enjoyable and, and certainly will, will result in some benefits for you and your practice. Yep. And anyone who's the least bit intimidated by the technology itself, and I know there are people who are out there, um, you know, I used to give Facebook trainings and I don't have to give Facebook trainings anymore because people got on and they just figured it out. And there's, you know, there's no, you're not getting graded on your accuracy. So you'll maybe make some mistakes, but um, like you suggest, the only thing I would add to that, so get on, get active, find people, start getting engaging with people. But I would just also just inject some productivity discipline, pick an amount of time per week and say, this is what I'm going to spend on LinkedIn and then commit to it and actually do it. And the minimum is 15 minutes per week. Um, I would say that's the bare minimum and then work up from there. It could be 15 minutes a day is your next milestone, but find some amount of time that you know you can uh, commit to it despite being a busy attorney and, and write it down and actually commit to it, create the habit. Yeah. And if you want to get, uh, you know, kind of jumpstart things and maybe dive a little bit deeper, um, as you mentioned at the top, Tom, we do have a, a free resource available on our website. Uh, it's kind of a, a LinkedIn guide to, um, engaging with other people and creating and sharing content and kind of advanced uh, 
an advanced guide on some of the things we've touched on today. So, so again, that's a free resource. If you go into our website, um, it'll pop up on, on a page and it's, it's also available in our free resources section. So check that out at hcommunications.biz and, and that'll be maybe a helpful guide to, uh, to move forward. Yep. And we'll link to it in the show notes to make it even easier. There you go. Um, all right. Well, uh, good stuff, Tom. Thanks for your insights. I think hopefully people got something out of this as they navigate this new digital world that we're all stuck in. Uh, and I guess until next week, uh, that's another episode. And um, next week, we'll be back with a guest. I think it'll be an interesting episode uh, for anyone who's been considering having a more niche focus to their practice. So we look forward to uh, speaking to you next week. Looking forward to it. See you, Jay. Okay, see you, Tom. Thank you for listening to the Thought Leadership Project. For show notes, additional resources, and links to the tools discussed on today's episode, visit thethoughtleadershipproject.com.